Hey guys, welcome to episode 27 of the Can't Let Podcast. Today's show is actually a little different in that it is a rerun of episode 24 of the Can't Let Podcast 1.0 and was initially released on November 1st, 2017. Yes, the Can't Let Podcast did have its start in 2017, where we recorded about 25 episodes before needing to focus my attention elsewhere for a season. We did, however, delete that podcast sometime thereafter to avoid confusion with this show, and that would be something I would do differently if I had it to do over again, as I have gotten several requests for where to find a few of those episodes, which until now were unavailable. And that brings us to current, with today's rerun being the most popular requested episode from the old show. It is my conversation with Winston Cruz, and we will simply play the original episode as it first appeared on November 1st, 2017. Here you go. Welcome to the Kent Lab Podcast, where we have meaningful conversations about business, theology, and lifestyle. We believe there's great value in learning from the beliefs, practices, and experiences of others. And we intend to showcase many of those right here on this podcast for the glory of God and the benefit of man. Now, here's your host, Kent Lapp. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Kent Lapp Podcast, where it's our Ghoul to sit back, relax, and have meaningful conversations about business and lifestyle and how our faith intersects and motivates all of the above. And trust me, this episode does not disappoint. Uh, I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, but before we do that, just one announcement. If you would care to get a weekly email from myself with three things uh, one, a thought I'm pondering. Two, a verse I'm digesting, and three, a bit of a wisdom nugget from the wild. Uh, then just go ahead and go to kentlap.com forward slash salt and fire, and you can sign up for this short weekly email and you'll get it dropped in your inbox uh, about midday every Friday. And uh, so go to kentlap.com slash salt and fire if you would care for that. On to the conversation that I'm excited to present to you today. We have Winston Cruz on the podcast, and Winston Cruz is the principal broker and investment manager of Capital Realty Group. Uh, His degree is in, uh, he he has a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration and Management from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Got that in 2009. Uh, Winston is married to Rachel Cruz, uh, Dave Ramsey's middle child, and they have two daughters, Amelia, who's about two and a half years old, and Caroline Victoria Cruz, who was born uh, July of this year, July of 2017, which is a beautiful name, by the way. And um, Winston essentially plays three critical roles with uh, Dave Ramsey's company. One, he manages all of Dave Ramsey's personal investment property. Uh, Two, he takes care of all of the space planning and tenant rep for Ramsey Solutions. And three, he is the project manager for the new Ramsey Solutions campus. They're moving their, their – uh, Winston tells us more about it, so I, w- I won't try to get too much in the details here. But they're moving their current corporate office, which 
is has wound up being spread over two or three or four different locations in the Brentwood Coal Springs area. Uh, they're moving all of that to about one exit south to 40-plus acres, 200,000-plus square foot, all one location. So to get everybody back under one roof, and we talk about this in detail, why they're doing it, how they pick the location, and so on. In this episode, we discuss really all things real estate, uh, including cash flow versus appreciation, foreclosures, asset protection, the pros and cons of using debt in, in investing in real estate, tips on getting started, and so on. We really dig deep into real estate, which was, which was a lot of fun for me. And I think you'll find uh, tremendous value there if you have any interest at all, either now or in the future, on getting into real estate in any capacity. Uh, we talk, also talk in depth about the new office complex that he's managing. Um, we talk about uh, how to be responsible as a dad and or husband without becoming overly domesticated. And uh, we talk about, um, well, he, he talks through some listener questions and some random questions that I ask him. Uh, the interesting, uh, happened to walk by Rachel Cruz in the office when I was going to sit down with Winston to record this and asked her what one question might be that she would want me to ask Winston. And she did have a really great question that I did ask Winston in the episode and he really had a great answer to. So look forward to that. I wanted to have Winston on this podcast because he seemed to me without really knowing him very well, seems very humble and very smart. Uh, and also very capable without needing to be a showman. And it just seems like he's handling his responsibilities with a certain depth of character, both at work and at home. And really uh, seems like someone you would want your kids to be like. Um, But you'd have to get to know him because he's not particularly active on social media, probably back to the not needing to be a showman. And, And I have to say, spending time with him in this uh, conversation and getting to know him a little bit better certainly uh, did not disappoint. And um, I'm really thrilled to bring you this conversation. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Winston is just a solid, solid uh, man of God, capable of what he's doing. And um, certainly I, and I, and I believe you can, can learn some things here. And so without any further ado, I give you my conversation with Winston Cruz. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. This is pretty fun. And we were chatting just before we hit record here, but um, I mean, I've not been shy about being uh, pretty open with the fact that I just love to have people on that I want to learn from in particular, and you're absolutely one of those. So I'm really excited to dig into a bunch of what we're going to dig into today in real estate and business, and I'd like to even hear some of your thoughts on family and everything. But I'm curious, what are you most excited about these days? With everything you have going on, I know you have a ton yep. going on with the new campus and all, everything, but it could yep. be business, could be real estate, it could be life, it could be church, it could be family, it could be anything. What What are you most excited about? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there are a lot of things going on. I'm trying to just catch up to life in, in certain ways. You know, when you have a two-and-a-half-year-old girl and then another two-month-old girl and you're running a building project that's every day full speed you you're just making sure that you're sitting in the moment and enjoying actually enjoying it and not just trying yep. to get things done and yep. tackle the next thing in front of you um so for me personally i'm i'm excited about things that are kind of outside of those things i mean i mm. i do that 
um, because I choose to. But outside mm-hmm. of family, outside of work, the the change of season and all things that come with fall and wintertime, for me personally, are very exciting. I can get back outside. That's where I like to recharge. Yep. I need a gun in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I need a bird to stalk. I need... <laughs> I need something <laughs> that is not within the, the, the bounds of an office building yep. or in the bounds of a home. I mean, really, yeah. you know, you can, you can spend your life overly domesticating yourself. Yes. Um, and those are noble things, but I'm, uh, I'm itching to get back outside because uh, I, don't, I don't fish. I'm not a summertime okay. get out and sweat it out you know, with a six-pack yep. guy. So, <laughs> I, I, so I, you I, like I'd fall. rather, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, Everything that comes with it, the football, yeah. the chili. That's yeah. I think there's just an atmosphere that starts to change when October hits that everybody starts to feel. I agree completely. Oh, it's absolutely one of my best seasons of life, and I'm completely on board with. There's a feel in the air, like I just feel like people are people are different when that fall weather starts to crest in the morning. So for that's sure. right. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You mentioned the bird hunting. What is it about bird? Because I saw that um, you like to hunt basically any kind of birds. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand, you don't hunt just everything. It's bird specific. Mm-hmm. So what is it about yeah, it is, it is bird strange. hunting that you enjoy so yeah. much as opposed to just hunting in general? Okay, as opposed to big game. Um, let's take deer hunting, for instance. That's the major number one. I mean, everybody yep. seems to deer hunt. Okay, great. Yep. Uh, you sit in a deer stand. It's basically fishing with a gun, except you can't talk. It's even worse. <laughs> it's even worse than fishing. <laughs> Okay, so you sit in a deer stand. Okay. You, it's dark outside. Yes. It's cold. Yes. Uh, you may or may not see anything. Yes. And you can't really talk to your buddy much. Yep. You know, you're, you're, you're basically spraying yourself down so nobody can smell you. Yep. You can't say anything so they don't hear you. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to go home without anything in the back of your truck. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have, Nine times I don't out have of ten. six hours to do that. You know, yeah. that's not the way that I'm, that's what I'm talking about. So when I say okay. bird hunting, you're either you're either standing in a field uh, trying to catch up with a dove's pattern that was super fast, or you're stalking a turkey that you can actually move around. You can yep. talk to your buddy. You can there's a the more strategy to it. Mm-hmm. Now, so the deer hunters are all going to yell at me because yeah, there's strategy to deer hunting as well. You get yep. your trail cameras out, you stalk them, you do. Yep. I get that. I don't have time. Yep. Put me on the birds. Um, put me in the duck blind where I can actually chatter. I think. Yeah. That might that might be what I'm saying is. There's just a little bit more relationship involved with the bird hunt than there is the solitary sitting in a deer stand and maybe not to say anything and probably not shoot anything. Yes, I actually I understand that completely. I grew up the exact opposite, huge whitetail hunter. I don't mm. hunt anymore. I have kids and there you go. I, and, and the cold and everything, I just kind of lost my fire for. I, I found that I was hunting half heartedly. And I did that for a season or two or three, and I'm like, why am I even doing this? It, I'm, this is out of habit. It's half-hearted. I'm done. It's true. So it might change. My kids come along, but you're exactly right. You can sit in that deer stand for a long time. And uh, last year, some of the guys from work went dove hunting, and I wasn't able to go. But from what I understand, they're crouched behind round bales, having a great time with their shotguns, not mm-hmm. being quiet. Yeah, not not caring about their camo, not caring about the scent, and nope. it was a completely so. Yeah, I could I could go along with that you can get there. because fishing I just can't do. Yeah, fishing is just I can't I just can't do it, dude. No, no I tried a time you or can't two. See I, what you're looking? No, it's it's not right. Yeah, um, well that's what, good. You know, I, I, it's a it's a different it's a different game for sure. Yeah, what does overly domesticated look like for you? Wow. 
because you mentioned that, and I think not a lot of- taking here. Here's what it is for me. It is not having the self awareness um, enough that you look up someday and you haven't taken care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like I need to build a lot of context around this because mm-hmm. I don't want somebody to get the wrong idea or just mm-hmm. take one one idea away from this, but. You know, there is something healthy about stepping away mm-hmm. from helping out, from mm-hmm. doing the dishes, from cutting the yard, from mm-hmm. doing the things that it takes to run the household tactically, mm-hmm. and and getting out and doing something that recharges yourself with a bunch of buddies, with, mm-hmm. with a gun, whatever it is for you, you will be a better dad, you'll be a better husband, you'll be a better You'd be a better man at the yep. house yep. if you have those things. Yep. I'm just saying overly domesticated is when you look up and you think, wow, I haven't done anything for myself in a long time. Yeah. Uh, this, and it's, it's a fault for me because I, I kind of tend to try to save the day. Some guys might be on the other side of it, you mm-hmm. know, and they, they do what they want to as much as they can. And, they, and they need, they're getting pulled the other direction back into the kitchen or something, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I get that too. So. Yep. Well, I think also to build on that, the, some of the guys that maybe are on the other extreme aren't necessarily under-domesticated. They're just selfish and immature. Because I think that exists, too, where you have a guy that's basically still acting like a teenager and he has a couple of kids and he's still acting like a teenager. Yeah. Uh, you know, and... Yeah, it could I be. I mean, examples could be many, but, but like, when I think... I don't think of that guy... Yeah, I think that's more... That's more um, just immature and, and, and all about me and selfish. I think... I, I think when people that hear this, like my age, when I hear you say that with my stage in life, I completely understand mm-hmm. because I feel like, man, for the guy that's trying to do right by his family and his responsibilities and everything like that, for that guy, I think we tend to dip maybe sometimes on the over-domesticated side and not taking enough of time just to get out and refresh mm-hmm. and however that looks for us. Yeah. So for you, is that bird hunting? Is that taking a walk is that going on a run what mm-hmm. going on a hike what is that for you mm-hmm. um yeah and, and that's and i wanted to circle back on that the disclaimer here is that those are noble things mm-hmm. it's okay to to be that guy within the household i mm-hmm. actually do it i recommend it that's a that's a that's a huge thing for the health of mm-hmm. your family for work for yourself but um stepping outside of that where where you can recharge and kind of break that routine for me is I um it involves outdoors. So I, I enjoy exercising. A lot of my yep. a lot of my stress relief, if I'm in a funk or I need to get my thoughts aligned or clear my head mostly, um my stress relief comes from running. Mm. Um when running became boring, I got a bike. Okay. Hampton talked me into that. Yes, so he told me I've, a little bit about that. Yeah, so now I've got a road bike that I like to another reason why I love the the weather change. Yep. Um there's nothing better than a sunny morning when there's no traffic and the sun's just coming up. You got a little fog sitting out on a cornfield and you get out some of these back roads. Yes. And you're biking and you're getting a good workout in. Yep. Um, you get to recharge. And uh, so I enjoy exercise. I enjoy the gun stuff. Um, I'm also, a big, I'm also a, a, a big friendship guy. Okay. Yep. I'm, I'm a guy that has, um, you know, five to ten friends, not a bunch of friends. Mm-hmm. If I'm gonna have a birthday party, it's gonna be with like three guys. Yep. Maybe my wife's the opposite. Yep. She wants it as big <laughs> as possible, as loud as possible, as many people she can keep up as possible. Yep. We're completely opposite in that. But yep. 
uh, if it's just me going, you know, getting a meal with a guy one on one that I haven't caught up with in a long time, uh, that's that's pretty cool to me. Yes, I can relate to to pretty much all of that. The most fun that I've ever had exercising was on a road bike. The year or two before we moved to Nashville, I think it's about two summers yeah. that I rode pretty hard, and I just it. It was just so much fun. I didn't. I didn't see that coming. You'd see guys all yeah. dressed up and they're in their whole gear and clip. You know the whole nine, and it. They didn't look like they were having that much fun. But yeah. when you get out on that bike, and 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 in in New York, it, I never did that well in hot hot weather. But I would start to ride in the spring, and then you kind of get acclimated to that yeah. to the summer heat. Yeah. And then I would just kind of feel like a badass when it was ninety, and I was biking at seven <laughs> o'clock at night. It just. It honestly, it was a lot of fun. But when we moved to Nashville, the roads here just seem terrible mm-hmm. to bike. Is there specific places you go? Yeah. I mean, it just looks like, at least what we have in Mount Juliet, I know if you could go like the Natchez Trace and stuff like that, it's different. But, man, in, in the Mount Juliet area, I don't even know where right. you would bike. Yeah, you gotta, sometimes you gotta, you got to drive to where you want to go. Um, and then when I was going through my kind of my purchasing process, there's a big difference between the aluminum and the graphite. You go yep. to graphite immediately because of that. And if it's, not, yep. if it's not the existing condition of the road, it's because of construction. Yep. So I can't get anywhere from my house without construction gotcha. going on in, in most of the areas right now. So that's another factor. Yep. Um, the funny thing about road biking for me is the first time I went, I, you know, there's some hills around Middle Tennessee, but it's not it's not like East Tennessee. It's not super crazy, but you can get some speed around here. Yep. I got off my bike, looked at my max, uh, my max speed from that ride. It was like 40 miles an hour. Wow. Okay. Going down a hill, and you can, That's and then I, I use Strava, the Strava app. Yes, and you can, I was on that too. You can measure it with the hills. And yep. This is where I went 40 because I was going straight down a cliff. Yep. And so I get home, and I tell my wife Rachel that. I'm like, hey, I guess how fast I went? 40. <laughs> and she freaks out, okay? And reasonably so. You know what she won't <laughs> let me get? Is a motorcycle. Oh. For some reason, road bikes are great. Yes. But motorcycles aren't. And I'm thinking, yep. I think if you going to fall off one or the other. You want to fall off a motorcycle. Yeah. Um, because there are some people that do not appreciate the guy on the side of the road trying to pedal up. Oh, hill. for sure. And you can, you can hear it in their muffler when they pass you. Exactly. So that's, yeah. that's, the, that's a funny thing for me is, is how easy it is to get a road bike. She didn't fight me at all, but yeah. if I mention the N-word, she's, yeah. she's well, all I, over me. Understandable. I, yeah. You might have you missed your chance, dude. I had motorcycles when, before I was married, and then some... But oh wow! I don't know, dude. It's, it's a time of life thing. I've hung it up. There's no, there's yeah it's, yeah. It's done. You, you might be past that. Um, so all right, I want to hear actually more about your childhood and your kind of your family growing up. Can you kind of take us back and walk us through your formative years? Yeah, um, I'm one of three. I'm the middle middle child. So okay, uh, I have an older brother. I have a younger sister. Okay. Um, my younger sister was born on my second birthday, which is a uh, kind of a special thing. So I really, you share a, a birthday, you share a same day birthday, two, two years exactly apart, two years apart. Wow. Yeah. March 16th. And I assume your parents had not planned that. No, they didn't plan it. I think the doctor said, no, sorry, we got to take the baby now. And it was a, uh, are you okay. sure type thing. But then, okay. Yeah. You know, then you get, you're pretty close anyways. If it's yeah, two days in a row or just the same day, you might as well just make the same day. Mm hmm. Um, I was the, um, I was the peacemaker of the family. If you kind of drew a circle and you put a bullseye in the middle and who carried the most emotional energy of the family, it would be my sister and my dad. If we were just in the living room together, 
I was kind of on the outside of the circle, kind of looking in. I'm, I'm an observer. I'm analytical. I, uh, I kind of put my thoughts together before I say it, and um, hence the peacemaker aspect yep. of it. So if my brother and sister got into it, I would just be refereeing the whole time. I, I fought with them, but not as much as they did. You know? Okay. <laughs> um, great, great family. Um, fantastic support from, from all angles. Even to this day, my mom and dad are my biggest fans. Mm. Always have been. Mm. Um, we were a sports family. Uh, okay. We weren't necessarily an arts family, so okay. my brother and I played basketball primarily after trying all of them, and okay. up to a certain point, you kind of—it's a one sport, yes. it's a one sport game now. You know, you, you're yep. year round on whatever you pick. Yep. Um, he went on to play ball D one with a scholarship. I just enjoyed it enough to to do high school and ba- uh, basketball. Yes. Oh, okay. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And, and so, how much older than you was he? He's he's two. two so two we're all years? two years apart. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. That's what we're doing with our kids. Every yeah, two years, man. It's a perfect. It's a perfect <laughs> it space. Anymore, you you don't know. You hope they'll be friends, but maybe yeah. not. And then yep. unless you're you're pulling you just hair, want to shoot yourself. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's awful, <laughs> dude. Terrible. So he went on to play D one. He did. Yeah, he he's a. You need a couple more inches than me to, to okay. get to that level. Yeah, and and he was he was dedicated. That's what he loved. It. That's all he wanted to do his whole life. Hmm. And uh, I think I just enjoyed the structure of it. I enjoyed the team aspect mm-hmm. and kind of the work ethic that it's built inside you. And, you know, once you go down that road, it's kind of like who you feel like you are in high school. In high school, mm-hmm. you, have, you don't have any awareness. You just think, well, that's what I do. I, I play sports, mm-hmm. you know, and that's your mm-hmm. thing. If you're in the mm-hmm. band, you, you're in the band. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, great upbringing, uh, solid, solid family. And um, in Knoxville. In Knoxville. Okay. Yep. yep. So I didn't have a choice. I went to UT Knoxville for school. Okay. Did you not want there. to because you live so close? Or was it always like, that's where I want to go? Kind of, but it's, you know, it's 20,000, you know, undergrad. It's, it's a massive school. Okay. You know, I was one of 4,000 in the cl- in the freshman class. And so wow. I knew I knew it was going to feel like I was away from home, even though yep. I wasn't away from home. And it was kind yep. of the best of both worlds because okay. if I needed to go home, I could. Yep. Um. But you stayed there. But I, but I stayed there. I, okay. I didn't really, I didn't look to go out of state. I didn't, I didn't have the desire to kind of go out and make my own, because I was just so excited to go to college. Anyways, that yep, I knew that would take care of it. So you were there majoring in business management. Business management. Yep. And is that where you met? That's where you met Rachel. Yep. Yeah. And so how did you guys meet? Out of all those people. <laughs> yeah. I. Yeah. Exactly. I. Um, so there's a Nashville Knoxville thing. So a lot of Middle Tennessee, you know, Nashville students will go to UT, okay, or they'll go out of state. But uh, we both did a ministry called Young Life. Mm. It's a high school ministry where kind of college age or even career uh, career leaders will build relationships with high school students, introduce them to to the Lord. And um, so we, I did that for a few years in college. She became a leader as well, so she was a year underneath me. Okay. Um, that's what I tell people as acquaintances. The real story is the very first time I met Rachel, she walked into uh, the house I was renting with one of my roommates on a date, per se. Quote, oh, wow. On a date. So okay. I was introduced to Rachel by one of my roommates who they were on a date together. Okay. The first time I shook her hand, um, which, by the way, you know, looking back, like, you know, if you're married, you just 
whatever your story is, just embrace it. Like, yeah. at least at least you shook her hand. At least you met her because yep. you know she walked away. I was thinking, well, daggum, how long is that going to take, or is that going to you know? Yep. So you liked her right then? I I was extremely impressed with her. Okay. Yeah, she was so confident. Yep. And I hadn't really seen a confidence like that uh, in a girl to that level. Okay. So she was she was coming in and. It's like we were doing a business deal or something. Oh yeah, she shook my she shook my hand so hard. I was like, "Who is this girl?" Um, That's you know, funny. And, and so, so from there, our circles just started to close in. So she, so then she became a young life leader and didn't end up with that guy. And she became friends with my sister. Mm. They actually became great friends. But mm. She got to know my family before she got to know me. So I always swore I would never date one of my younger sister's friends. Yep. She just careful what you say. You did. <laughs> You know, it's like God was just like, well, yeah, watch this. And then yeah. I made the best exception of my life. But yeah, um, and it's cool that they're they're great friends now. And my sister, Charlotte, absolutely loves it. So, yeah, that's wonderful. And then you guys got were married in 2009. Was it? That's right. 2009. And so uh, back to that stretch of time. So she wasn't just dating anyone. It was your roommate. So was that hard? Like, I assume if he was your, your roommate, you knew him decently well? And you yeah, I knew him great. Like he actually would come home and talk to me about what was going on, you know. Okay. Uh, Did he know you were starting to like her? Or no, no. I was just trying to, like, cautiously tiptoe through the advice I was giving without being obvious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how many ways can I say, I don't think it's, I don't think she's into you, but not yeah. say it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just kind of walk him through it and. <laughs> uh, and and sit back and wait. So whatever was going to happen was going to happen. But yep. um, yeah, so that took that you know that all that timing is fuzzy and yeah, who knows? Uh, yeah, I just I guess I was just waiting my turn. Yep. Maybe. Yep. So uh, I can respect that. Yeah, it's good. Well, it clearly worked out just just great. Um, anything else that comes to mind that you want to share from those years or anything before we move on? Uh, no, that was the that was the flyby. Yeah, that was sure. great. That's good. Um, again, back referencing that Entree Leadership podcast, that um, I believe the part one was like February of 2016. I was listening to in preparation for this, and then there was a part two a couple months later. But in that in that first one, your role kind of here was it sounded like kind of threefold: managing Dave's personal investment property, space planning and tenant rep for Ramsey Solutions, and project manager for the new. Campus, is that kind of your role currently, or has that changed at all? That's it. That's okay. that is that is still what it is since since the company decided to point guns at a a corporate campus, a headquarters. Um, that was probably around that time or shortly after. Mm. That kind of became my role, and the uh, the deal hunting dropped off where I was looking for uh, okay. the the real estate deals with Dave and going out. Okay. And, Kind of negotiating stuff and digging up foreclosures that that peeled off because we were starting to focus on one of the biggest and well the yep. biggest investment that he's ever made, which is this yep. Berry Farms property. So, but that's still what I do. Gotcha. So yeah, that ma- that makes complete sense. So now I assume that campus is taking up a lot of your time. But as far as across these kind of three areas, how much time and attention are you? Would you say kind of more percentage wise as your average day? Mm-hmm. look like across those three yeah so areas. i've got so we probably have among let's just call it the portfolio uh two hundred fifty thousand feet that we manage and it's me and uh 
two others, um, my facilities manager and then my assistant. And so we kind of manage the turnover of the residential properties, which is uh, just annual stuff. And then we relist and take care of the vacancy and things like that. The um, That doesn't take a lot of time because once you've kind of done one turnover with a condo, you've done them all, you know, mm-hmm. so you just, you look for the next tenant and make sure they're not crazy and put them in. Yep. <laughs> um, the space planning and Berry Farms, the new development are taking up a hundred percent of my time. So the, the, mm. the real estate gets attention, the existing portfolio gets attention because it has to when it needs to, but otherwise I'm not doing anything proactively with it. Um, so so we have 250,000 feet under management. The biggest tenant, of course, is Ramsey Solutions. There's 639 mm. team members as of this week. Mm. There, that's a that's a lot of people to keep happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they're they're humans. They'll lose their key fobs. They'll ask, you know, where where can I get a broom to sweep this up? There's there's 600 opportunities, more than 600 opportunities for somebody to get in touch with you because they need something from yep. a management perspective. Yep. So David takes care of that, and he's a, he's a saint for doing it, and it's okay. uh, it's a lot uh, for three people, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so that that is that's kind of sporadic; it's unpredictable. You don't yep. know what you're going to get into that day, that morning. You don't know if uh, if the fourth floor is hot or if something's going to kick off or uh, what's going to happen. So you're just reacting all day, all week uh, to the things that you can. The new development is. If if one of those if one of those three things is going to suffer, the new development is going to be the last thing to suffer. That mm-hmm. is my top priority, number one. Uh, as as long as I'm focused on getting those things straight, I'll get to the other stuff. Gotcha. But it's it is a one for me. Yep. And for my team, frankly, frankly, yep. um, because if if that's not going, then none of this other stuff is, has a place to go. Yep. In twenty months. Yep. Uh, so so a long answer to your. Short question is it's it's about seventy percent development, thirty percent space planning, and then the real estate turnover management of the portfolio is just as it as it needs yep. to be maintained and serviced. So that makes yeah, makes total sense. Of the 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 two hundred fifty thousand square feet that you're managing, is that mostly commercial or is it residential and commercial? Um, it's. Uh, there's about four. There's four commercial properties, and uh, there's uh, 22 residential. So, okay. And and so it, it might be half and half. I mean, there's a yep. Takes a lot of residential properties to make up one commercial. Yep. Building. Um. And so this is one of them, but there's a there's a couple of other ones in Thompson Station, Spring Hill, and different gotcha. areas. Um. That that we take care of. So it's really. What I figured out is not as much about the square footages that you have; it's the it's the amount of maintenance that the tenant requires. Yes, if you can do a triple net lease where the tenant yes doesn't ever call you except if the roof is falling in, they pay all utilities, they pay all, everything outright. Um, you can manage as, a lot more square footage that way than you could with someone that's high maintenance, breaks everything, always is having a problem. Yes, and um, that that's a. That's something I've learned. That's a huge benefit. So. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't. I don't have extensive experience with commercial, but the one property has um, five commercial units in the front, and then a few residential in the back. And growing up, part of my so I grew up kind of around residential, and it wasn't on a great scale or a huge scale. But Dad got 
I don't know, three or four properties kind of for mom. He had, my dad had cancer and I think he knew his time might be limited. And so he set these residential properties up for income for mom. So I grew up around that. So having to paint a, um, an apartment when someone moved out and having to do all this stuff, wow. take out the, you know, clean it out. Cause people don't clean it when they leave a two bedroom apartment. That's right. You know, so I grew up around all of that. Wow. And, um, so there can be a lot of, you know, it's high touch. It can be high touch. And then, yes. These five, uh, these commercial spaces are like, wow, these guys, they pay the rent every yeah. time and they pay this for taxes and they pay a little extra to, to plow the snow and they pay their own electric. Yeah. It's like, yes, this is wonderful. And they might be there for five years and exactly. not just 12 months uh, yes, at a minimum. Exactly. So back to what you're doing here when you say like they're hitting you and your team up for the key fives and the broom and the... Well, that's because the way it's structured, essentially, you're managing this. So you're managing this office space on Dave's behalf, and then he's renting it to or leasing it to Ramsey Solutions, the company. That's, that's essentially right. how it's set up. That's right. Okay. Landlord and tenant, the same so, thing. So it's kind of, I would rather have it that way than to, you know, we rent some space back here where we are not the landlord, and it's a different ballgame. It's a different right. set of rules. It's a different. It's a different uh, amount of hoops that you have to jump through. You can't yes. just go in and replace a door without providing a yep. certificate of insurance. I mean, yep. here it's your it's your own sandbox. Exactly. You go to somebody else's sandbox, and it's it's a a different a different way of doing things. Yep. So we kind of we're kind of spoiled on it, but at the same time, we're managing both the tenant and the landlord. So sure. some things that we are doing from a management perspective are what the landlord would request. Other things are okay. And that, because yep. we are the tenant in the same building, yeah, we do these things on behalf of them as well. So yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And I've heard um, that seems to be. Well, I'm curious what your experience is in, in situations like this, where you have the an owner of the company which involves real estate and those types of things. Is I've heard that exact scenario a few times. Is that most common? I guess in your eyes, where you might have an owner of a company, he owns the the real estate which rents to a company. Yep. I mean, is that is that kind of the? If you are a user owner, what they would call it, then and and you do not put that building in a separate company that leases it back to the company that you own. Mm-hmm. Got to relook it. I mean, it's it's because it's rent money. First of all, it's risk. Mm-hmm. So get that get that building out of it. You know, you're going to have so many people coming in there and and contractors and subcontractors on ladders and everything. Yep. Put that building on in an LLC. Yes. And quit claim it to that name mm-hmm. and um and own it there and then set up your company as a tenant, drop a one page lease. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, and at least get it in writing and, and make sure that it's documented so that it you know you pay yourself essentially mm-hmm. back into that company. Yep. Yep. Yeah it makes sense. So digging in a little bit more than into real estate specifically, how did you get your start? Uh, I know you're passionate about real estate. Has that always been, or how did you get your start in real estate? What prompted your interest in that to begin with? I uh, so growing up, my I, I think I told you this. My parents got a couple of rental properties, um, and they had this steady stream of of college students. So mm. it was like. One one class of students would get to know the, the next class, and they always had it full. They just passed it all the way through. You know, growing up my whole childhood, they had these rental properties. And I think my fascination with passive income started at an early age. 
And I'm, okay. I'm sitting there thinking, so wait, all you had to do was go get a house, and then people will move in, and they will write you checks every month. Yep. <laughs> just for you, just, and what do you do? Like, do you do anything? And they're like, well, you know, you, you, have to, you have some headache, you have to fix it, you have to respond to them, you have to do the keys, you have to renew and market the property and take care of it. But wait, they're just writing you a check every month, and it just, it comes to you in the mail, and <laughs> it happens every month? And yeah. so... <laughs> I, uh, my love, I, man, I, it just, it just ignited something within me that I thought that is so cool. And there is something wholesome too. I, I like the past income. There is something wholesome too. One of the greatest rights that we have is that we can own, literally own a piece of dirt. Mm-hmm. We can own the structure and we can own the air above it. I mean, that, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated. I, you know, I, I love design. I like architecture. I'm not good at it, but I do part of, part of it is I, I just love Going through houses, going through commercial properties, uh, looking at a piece of land, wondering what it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it always tells a story. It always has a story to be told. Uh, real estate is real estate. It, you should never bore somebody with real estate because mm. that's that's a sin to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it started in an early age. So so what happened was, I thought I would have those as a hobby. I thought I'd do what okay. my parents did. I would. Go out, leverage a few homes, cash flow the um, mortgage with the rental with the with the passive rent. Then I met Rachel, <laughs> and uh, that that changed my philosophy on it. It didn't happen overnight, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. it started out with me getting rid of a credit card mm. uh, that I paid for most of our dates with, by the way. <laughs> um, so I still have my Capital One thousand dollar limit card. Um, not active, obviously, but it's it's got an eagle. You on kept it. the actual card. It's, I got the actual oh, card. Cool. Yeah, nice. Um, <laughs> so we we got married. We looked at moving back to Nashville uh, to work here. I stepped into a commercial endorsement program that Dave has, where it basically is a referral system. So if you had a commercial property in Buffalo, New York, and you wanted to figure out who we rec- recommended to work with to list the property, okay, then. We'd send you John Smith with such and such, uh, you know, realty service. They'd list it for you, sell it, send a referral fee. Gotcha. Uh, back to our brokerage. Okay. And so I worked that for three years hard, and we eventually just shut it down because mm. the average listener doesn't need help with a commercial property. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're if you have a business and you operate it and you run it out of a out of a a building, you probably have enough contacts. Mm-hmm. on your own that mm-hmm. you're you're going to list that thing and, and get it sold or find something on your own without the need of a referral. So, yeah, and this was not this was not just to be clear, this was not like a home. This was commercial property. It was strictly commercial. Yeah, they have a residential yeah. side that's that's yeah. uh, vastly successful that. yeah. and and uh it's met a need in the marketplace gotcha. to a large degree on the residential side. Yeah, it makes commercial sense. sophisticated. You yeah. got attorneys involved, you have and and business owners that are decision makers at that level, they've already got their own guys. Yep. Um, so I, I worked it hard though for three years and I learned a lot of the vernacular that way. Mm. Uh, I spent, I, my whole day was on the phone, just cold calling commercial brokers across the country, asking if they'd take a, you know, a, a chicken farm. I mean, the, the, the leads that were coming in weren't even qualified. So I was trying to okay. sell the lead and I was trying to sell the, the broker, um, to mm. get into this, into the program. And so, um, in the meantime, there was a thing called the recession happening <laughs> It was the worst time ever to be trying to flip 
leads anyways to yep. brokers because uh, they're trying to put food on the table themselves. Mm-hmm. And there's an inverse relationship from what I've maintained with the stock market and the opportune time to pick off some great deals. Mm-hmm. So if the stock market's doing great, markets are good, the economy's good. That means housing's good. That means mm-hmm. inventory's low. It's it's super difficult to scratch up a deal. You can mm-hmm. do it, but it just takes more work. Mm-hmm. Back then, anybody was just looking for a, an offer. Mm-hmm. I could I could have thrown, you know, we were just throwing cash offers as is close Friday. Mm-hmm. And it was taking candy from a baby in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. So I went out and got my real estate license in 2012 while I was trying to work this program. And eventually, David and I had done enough deals that it afforded itself a full-time position. Um, and he just he allowed me to go out, and we had a lot of fun together. We would, mm. I would go out, source the deals, bring them back. We'd meet over it once a week. Here's all the things I got lined up. I'd bring, I'd bring back 10 or 12 leads that I got going on just rotating through all the time, just going yeah. out and headhunting new deals. And, um, he taught me, he taught me everything. Taught me, he taught me everything about how to walk through a purchase process and not get your tail burned hmm. because it is a, it is a dangerous, it's a dangerous area if you're going to go out there and do it on your own. Mm-hmm. But you can also, um, make a lot of money doing it and yep. have a lot of fun doing it as well. Yep. And what, um, what year was this roughly, um, this is after the. This is eleven, twelve, okay, thirteen, okay. Um, so there's there was deals to be had locally. Yeah, in still that yeah, time? still yeah. It was still okay. still a pretty depressed market. Um, so we just we drummed up a lot of business in those couple of years, and then you know you add another one to the portfolio. The management lifting grows as well. Mm-hmm. So you're managing more properties, and so the management kind of grows as well as your uh your deals mm-hmm. so um now it's it's a full-time maintenance deal uh yep. and and until he decided we're going to go down and, and source a piece of land for our headquarters we we were continuing to look for for properties to, to add to it so gotcha that's um so i'm curious what were you looking for what were you buying you know when you would sit down with him that week and look over 10 deals yeah what were the most common deals that you were showing to him um so there was a couple of different sources uh one is i would come through the newspapers old school go through the newspapers look up the notices of the public notices of foreclosure Hmm. uh run the addresses to see if they were listed um there's actually an online service that provides those to you now because you can publish them in a lot of different publications in Nashville. I want to go out and get all of the publications, bring them back every day, and comb through the new notices. You would, I I would, but I would oh, only you do. You had this online thing that yeah, the online it. thing does yeah. it in composite for you. You can pay it. a fee for it, so I ended up using that because it was so much easier yep. just to find what was out there. So there's just the old school foreclosure search. That's just that's just. Got to just do it. There's mm-hmm. no other. There's no other shortcut except just to research all. You know what's coming up, and then you could go to a bank. You know, and then they have their REO listings that that are either coming up, they're pre foreclosure, or they actually own at that point. And they're mm-hmm. about to list it with a with a local broker. Mm-hmm. And I try to step into the middle of that deal and offer them on a bank of properties or just single properties, um, mm-hmm. and intercept it before it got to market. If it got mm-hmm. to market, your competition just goes up. So you. So I try to do yeah. it. All of this stuff is before it hits the market, before anybody knows about it. Nobody's doing that work. Mm. That's why you can be successful at it. Everybody's just going to – the easy thing is just to get on the MLS 
Yep. And search motivated seller. And you might come up with a good lead. You might not, but everybody's doing the same thing. Yes. So I was trying to do it uh, pre-market and I'd go to the bank. I'd go into the newspapers or I would use the MLS. I always kept a tab on that. When, when, any, when anything ever came up as is or motivated seller or estate sale, short sale, foreclosure, any, any of those buzzwords, those are, those are where the deals happen. Yep. I'm not looking for uh, Joe who him and his wife are just looking to move across the state. Yep. They don't have to sell. Yep. But they're just seeing what they can get for it. Yep. It's a waste of time. Yep. But I would say for every, you know, you mentioned how hard it is to, to drum up something and, and the patience required. I would submit 30 offers before I made one deal. Okay. It was, uh, yeah, I was turning over. And, and today it's more than that because that was back in the market where it was, it was easy to pick something off. Today, it's, it's, it'd be difficult to do it, but you could. Um, mm. But it takes a lot of practice and a lot of reps just to find one diamond in the rough. Mm. And what types of property were you looking for? Anything commercial, residential, industrial, anything? Or was it, were these mostly residential homes or multifamily that you were um, looking for? It was anything. Okay. Uh, commercial, commercial was, it was behind residential on the front end of the recession. It, it took, a, it, it, it depressed slower and it took longer, but it took longer to recover on the back end. So, um, we, we would look up commercial properties. We would take residential properties. Uh, you can do the same. Here's, here's the problem. You can do the same amount of work on a residential deal that mm-hmm. you would a commercial deal. Mm-hmm. But the payoff is so much greater. Mm-hmm. You know, would you rather cash a thousand dollar check, or would you mm-hmm. rather cash fifteen thousand dollars a month? Mm-hmm. And and those are the the uh, conversations we would have. Mm. But we were just grabbing what we could. It, it okay. really wasn't. Would we want this prop? We would want to manage. This, you know, we looked at a car wash, for instance, we, and we were thinking, "Golly, there's we we've heard about the cash cow car wash. We get that." But are we really going to want to run down the street once a week and collect quarters? You know, it's yeah. a management nightmare. Those are some of the ones that we would say, eh. But as far okay. as as far as just if you can if you can get a reliable, good location, bones are good, commercial building, yep. or residential, and you know, and you're you're not really you don't care which one. Mm-hmm. We were just we were buying up whatever the it came down to the deal is what it was. But gotcha. barring any weirdness like a car wash. Yep. Yep. And, and the commercials, if if you're getting a deal on commercial property, was were they, uh, were they being rented? Were they vacant? Um, what was the, what did that look like in the recession to get a deal on a commercial property? They were bank owned, okay, and they were half performing, okay. So the deal had to be what our minimum purchase price would be, as far as you know, we'd run a pro forma. And say if we wanted ten percent on this building, that would dictate our valuation. So then we would take a certain amount below that, and you put a number to what it would cost to to get that thing ready to rent again. And that's a that's a that's a really cheap number. Mm-hmm. And you, you know you're going to throw it at the bank; they're going to freak out, fall out of their chair. Like we <laughs> we experienced that a lot. But most mm. but most of those commercial buildings were bank owned mm. rather than privately owned because the private guys had already coughed it up and given it over. Gotcha. Um, or about to. Um, so yeah, even even one of the ones we bought was actually a bank that owned it, and the bank 
went bankrupt. So we actually bought. Oh wow! We actually bought from the government um, on on one of the commercial buildings, and that one took that one took a year and a half to get done. But, wow, that's cool. Who do you who what what name is on that check when you buy that place? Is it the tenants like the government of Tennessee or federal government or? If the bank went bankrupt, I'm just wondering, yeah, who, who you even write that check to? It was a uh, it was an auction company who worked on behalf of the bank, and I'd have to pull the file. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna be able to come up with it off. The no, top no, of no, my head. no, it's totally fine. It's uh, just, you've uh, heard of it before, heard. though. I, it's not. It's 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 it's, and it was the craziest closing because they're 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 closing documents and contracts were. 30 pages long. I mean, there, there wow. was so much boilerplate in there. So when you go to these banks, how would you approach the bank? Who would you ask for? And what do you, who, who do you ask for at these banks? And, and yeah. how do you start that conversation? So, I, so back then I would go in and ask for the REO manager. Okay. What does REO stand for? Real estate owned. Okay. Um, it's basically the bank owns these properties, mm-hmm. um, of course, they they own them anyways. If they've got loans stretched out on all these things, mm-hmm. and so they have invested interest on all of them, it just depends on whether or not they've gone through the foreclosure proceedings or not to get it back in the state of Tennessee. Anyway, so so I would go in, ask for the REO manager, say, "Can we look at what you got on the books? Mm. And do you want to get rid of anything? Is anything is there a thorn in your flesh that you just want to pass off?" Um, and they'll they'll put a valuation to it. They're they're in to make money, obviously. So they're not, they're yeah. not giving anything away. Yep. But at the same time, if it's kind of Q four and they're looking to make their books look pretty again, they might be more inclined to to pitch something to you. Yep. Now, I get emails from local banks on their email lists of foreclosures and pre foreclosures, things that are coming up. Those lists have dwindled. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I keep saying this. Those mm-hmm. lists are much smaller. If you went in. Mm-hmm into a XYZ bank today and look for, ask for their REO manager. You'd say, well, he's, he's also doing these other things too, because it's a healthy, it's a healthy market. If if you can't, if you get into a financial situation and you can't sell your house today or you can't sell your building today, then you really outstretch something. I mean, the banks Mm -hmm. have gotten so much more um, filtered and stringent and strict on what Mm -hmm. they will allow Mm -hmm. their money to go towards. And uh, they're they're not going to just shoot money everywhere. Plus, yep. it's extremely competitive. Yep. From a rate standpoint. Yep. And uh, so they're they're more sophisticated. They got burned, and they learned from it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a more difficult it's a more difficult thing. Yep. Um, the um, oh yeah, I was going to ask you on buying up then and less now. So, what are your thoughts on? Then real estate investing in general, are you a, would you propose, hey, the market's down, like say right now, market's hot, prices are high, it's so competitive, just don't buy, save your cash, market dips, buy. Or do you kind of just want, want to sprinkle it out and kind of dollar cost average a little bit more over the course of time? How, how do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a balance. And my, and my, you have to understand I'm coming from a cash basis, so it's mm-hmm. it's going to be different. I also am coming from the perspective that you never want to get into a situation where you have buyer's remorse on a real estate deal. Mm-hmm. You never want to look back and say, I paid too much for that, because you will, at this t- at this stage in, of the game in the economy, you'll, you'll pay at the top of the market. 
and it's going to crash the yep. very next day. It's just Murphy's Law. It's going to happen. Yep. So your deal is made. Your cash is made at the closing table. Don't get impatient. Don't get emotional. Stick to your number. The number is, has zero emotions. Mm-hmm. And the only emotions you're going to be experiencing if you break that code is regretting it. Mm-hmm. So I would say the balance for me, so I'm, I'm coming from that perspective. I'm, I'm saving cash, looking to diversify. Always will have real estate as part of my portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is, when? And can you find a deal? Mm-hmm. And can you do it in this market? Well, here's my answer. It takes so many reps to find that diamond in the rough that makes sense and that you won't regret and that you'll that'll it'll bless you for the rest of your life. You can pass it to your kids. It takes a long time to find that deal. And if the market's good, fine, but you're going to have to practice anyways. So you mm-hmm. might as well get your reps in now mm-hmm. while the market kind of plateaus or does whatever it does, but mm-hmm. you're, you know, I don't, I just don't think you should play it. So what if the market continues to stay high, you can't find that deal, mm-hmm. doesn't meet your numbers and you just continue putting money away towards that, toward, towards that investment property. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you have, you know, $50,000 more or mm-hmm. $20,000 more to put towards that investment property than you did two years ago. Yep. And you didn't burn yourself. Mm-hmm. And what that what that means is and on a formula on a piece of paper, you will have more rental income if you're buying a more expensive property mm-hmm. is how that should work. Yep. If you're saving up for a bigger whatever, fill in the blank. It's yep. a bigger check monthly. Yep. And so that's okay. So I think yep. it's a balance. I, I'm not saying just sit on the sidelines and don't do anything. I'm okay. saying get your team together, get your title company. If you don't have a title company, get a title company. If you don't have a real estate agent, get one. Um Get make some shake some hands at the bank, mm-hmm. feel it out, see if you mm-hmm. really want to do this. Mm-hmm. Make some pitches, you know, write some offers and watch real estate brokers' faces drop. I mean, just yep. do do <laughs> the do the do the reps, yeah, and see if you like it. Meanwhile, you're just putting away some money for when that market does because it's going to happen. Yes, it's going to happen. Yep. it's too hot. Um, the 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 news, the headlines that I read, it's too volatile. You know, so it, it's it's going to happen. Don't you know? It's it's like waiting on. I don't know. Take that out. Yeah, <laughs> take that out. It's it's. It does happen. go all over the place, though. You're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I actually think that's that's fantastic advice because I have been more tempted to in the last couple of years just be like, "Yep, the market's crazy hot right now. I'm just going to forget about it completely." And I love real estate. Um, but I've not been putting the reps in, which means if the market does dip now, I don't know what's out there. I don't know what it has been quite as much because I That's haven't good. been putting those reps in. So I like that a lot. I also really like, we didn't dig into it much yet, but you mentioned a time or two, but investing with cash. And the cool thing about that is, and obviously when you start to talk real estate, you get all, all these kinds of different opinions and people are like, you should leverage every possible penny. Yep. And you know, so there's all this. So we understand that. But the one thing you, it's hard to argue against when you're investing with cash is you care about the deal a lot. Because mm-hmm. you're spending hard-earned, save cash, and the market's hot, you're not spending this. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's one thing that's just hard to argue against when you buy real estate with cash. You care about the deal, and you mentioned the money's made at the closing table, which I agree with 100%. How did you think then about 
more growing up thinking that you would maybe use leverage, invest, the rents would pay the mortgage down, plus a little, eventually that's paid off and now you have free property. How'd you kind of transition from that mindset then in real estate to now investing with cash? Yeah. Well, here's the whole, the cash and leverage thing. Um, Because anybody can go out there and and you can, you can get a, you can get a property, rent it out, build passive equity. I get it. I've Mm -hmm. seen the charts. I've read the books. Um, You can do it. Here's what the books don't, won't ever tell you. What happens when you can't make a payment on that rental property? Oh, well, I'll always have a tenant. Mm-hmm. That's great. I didn't know that you knew exactly what was going to happen in the future. You know, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know that you could predict the future. Mm-hmm. There is, there is the, the biggest difference that you just you have to make a personal decision on is the amount of risk that you want to have in your life. Mm-hmm. How much risk do you want to have? Because right now, Rachel and I have two condos. You know, I'll get it out mm-hmm. there. We have two condos. If a tenant gives me problems or if they want to flex and try to come up with all these scenarios as to why, why not they want to pay their rent, mm-hmm. you can just leave. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, I literally tell them, why don't you just leave? Mm-hmm. I, have, I have more leverage over a tenant that goes beyond the lease agreement that we have in writing Mm -hmm. because I have no risk involved. Mm -hmm. It's paid for. So I will treat it differently than I would if I'm desperate. I kind of got to get somebody in. I am so twisted up on trying to get that next month in and, and, and transition the old tenant out and get the next one in and make sure that I can float a payment. I mean, there's just, I don't, I don't need that. I don't, I don't need that stress. It's not worth it to me. I don't want to predict the future. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to rely on an outside external factor to meet the needs of my financial situation. I yep. want to own it. Yep. There is nothing, there's no price on peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Now, that, all that to say, that's my perspective. Mm-hmm. I transitioned when I started to taste the peace of mind. I started to taste the leverage mm-hmm. that I have with the tenant. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's perfect. Yep. yep. And by the way, when they write you a rent check, it all goes in your bank account. You're not, you're not trying to, you know, you're not trying to net 200 bucks out of it. Cause you got $1,100 mortgage payment. It's exactly right. <laughs> I didn't, I've actually, to mention the cash part by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just growing. It just sits there. Yes. Well, that's a, that's a great point because it's shocking when you look at the numbers on, well, let's say you have a, let's say you have a, well, heck, let's just say you have a single family home. And you look at the numbers on what if you paid cash. I mean, they're, hey, there's still places in this country you can buy single family homes for fifty grand, the entire sure. house. You know, oh, yeah. so all right, say fifty grand, you buy that. Now the rents come in, you keep it all, and then run those numbers versus a mortgage payment. And it's like the, it's like in a business. Let's say you have a ten percent profit margin in a business, and you raise your, and all costs are still the same. You raise your top line by let's just keep the math easy 10%. Well your your net profit doesn't increase by 10%. Your net profit just increased by 100% essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's exactly what happens with these cash flows on the properties because I was running numbers on a deal and it's like man this deal made a lot of sense if I could pay cash, but when you look at having a mortgage payment and you want to pay that off in say 10 years cuz you don't want to drag it out forever. Right. Now there's basically nothing left. You know, so, so you're right about the cash flow part, but I think even beyond that, the, 
so I've been all over the map, just to be honest with with the leverage thing, because I grew up a well, grew up isn't right, uh, but when I got a smartphone and could listen to podcasts as a young adult, yeah. I was a hardcore Dave Ramsey fan, and so I've kind of mentally have been on on the no debt extreme, and then kind of in my mind on I've been hearing the you know leverage as much as you can. I never went that route, but I heard that, read the books too, right. and so I've I've kind of been all over the spectrum. And, and honestly, I think if it comes to cash flowing real estate, I. I don't know exactly. I don't have hard and fast lines, but I completely understand the cash um, argument and the side because here, here's one of the things that I that I also think about is you mentioned the risk um, it, management and sleeping good at night. There's no question that a time or two that I've been thinking about the leverage thing and the buying thing. It, it's like well, well, okay, if you're living just fine. Why do you need to go borrow money to get more? Like, what's behind that? Hmm. You know what I mean? For, for, for me. Now, I'm not saying like anyone that uses leverage has this trouble, but I'm saying for me personally, and sometimes it's come back to because I feel like there's that competitive side of me. I need to keep up. Yeah. This guy over here is making money. I should keep up too. You know? So yeah. now, but I can't keep up with cash. So now I need to go leverage to keep up. And it's like, it's not about at that point, I think it's not about being a good steward, providing good income. Mm-hmm. It's about just more, more, more. Mm-hmm. And the competitive keeping up and trying to be more wealthy than the next guy, which can be really dangerous. I agree. And so. and the reason why that route is a, is more popular, it's easier. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easier. You put the risk on the side, you put the peace of mind on the side for a little while, you can put the cash on the side for a little bit. But if I can just go get a rental property and I can get the next one, I can kind of – I can do two or three and kind of manage my life around a couple of them and make yep. sure the bank's happy and it's easy. You yeah. know, you, there is there's no sacrifice. You know, Rachel and I to your point, Rachel and I saved for a few years and we dedicated, you know, each month putting money away for our first condo. Mm-hmm. And I was you know, I, I wasn't looking for the uh the slum lord, but I was not looking for the the white collar property either. You yep. know, I want, I needed something to just scratch the itch. Yep. So we bought a condo for $44,500. Yep. I put $6,000 in it, paint and carpet. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you say the $50,000 number. So if you don't think that you can put away enough money to get a rental property for cash, mm-hmm. it's not true. That's, yes. That's a false, that's I a agree. false number. You can, you can get into the market if you want to. Yep. If you're dedicated enough to put back some money over, you know, over X amount of years. Yep. And so that takes patience, that takes delay, mm-hmm. that takes a goal and sticking to it. Mm-hmm. That's a lot more difficult than going down to the bank. Yeah. It took a long time and the reward is so much greater. But um yep. but you're right. There's a there's a keeping up, you know, comparison thing. Yeah, we you know, being able to say we got some we got some rental properties and yeah. and talk about it with your friends. I get it. I yep. get it. It's easier that way, but there's it's just not worth it. Yeah. So this is not good because I'm only gotten through like half of my first of four pages of notes. So. <laughs> oh no, you have four more pages. Oh yes, um, but on the I'm not quite done with the real estate stuff, but we're gonna have mm-hmm. to move on quick. But I'm curious, um, what are your thoughts then on um, buying for cash flow versus buying for appreciation? Are there particulars you look for maybe with either one? Yeah, seventy percent of market is what is what our target was. So, I um, 
to buy for cash flow or just in general? For appreciate. So, so making money at the deal, you know, if you buy 70% of market, you've already increased the value. You know, I see what you're, I see what you're saying, but Mm -hmm. you've already put away 30% equity Mm. and then you're, you're, you could, in other words, you could flip it tomorrow for 30% more. Okay. If you run the numbers that way, yep. We would buy more on that than we would on cash flow. So cash flow is great, and we would I would kind of run the numbers back in my office on what could what would the NOI be, what would the net operating income be on this. But we did not base an offer on okay if if it's this amount of gross revenue minus expenses, here's the income that spits out a twelve percent return. We didn't we didn't back our offer in that way. Mm. We just went. All right, what's the best deal we could get? You know what's going to happen? That that uh, return is going to take care of itself. Completely take care of itself. Gotcha. You can get 70% or below market. Um, now that's on the residential side. If you're looking at a commercial building, I would run an APOD, which is a pro form of all the things. It's just, it just has more numbers to it, um, more, more expenses, uh, a, a different, you know, there's build outs and, and leasing fees and everything like that. So you're going to have to get a little bit more detailed there. And that, that way you do have to back into a number, but, um, mm. yeah, we, we would buy on, all right, wh- where's this property going to be in five years and how much can we, how much can we glean from that today at the closing table than we would on what's the rent look like and, okay. and what, what not. So. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what, uh, well, yeah, I still want to ask that question. So someone interested in investing in real estate, what do you think are some of the key traits they need to have to be successful in real estate over a long period of time? Traits or habits or? Yeah. Um, they, I, I think the number one for me is, it's twofold. One is, it's an emotionless process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more emotion that you that you have, the worse it's going to be, um, and you'll you'll get you will get involved in things that you shouldn't have um, because the numbers don't care. Real estate doesn't care; it doesn't have a soul. It will the bank doesn't care either if you're going that route. I mean, it's it can be brutal. So um, that's the thing about numbers in general. Numbers don't give a crap. They don't care. <laughs> That's why I love them. <laughs> yeah, they're either going to kick your tail or they're going to make you feel great. Yeah. But they don't care what if you, you know, feel bad or not. So, yep. um, okay, so it's it's an emotionless process, you know, unless you're unless you're walking through your personal uh, residence, future residence with your wife, and you guys, you know, you like the way that the the kitchen, you know, lays out, and you don't have to spend money there, and you don't have to spend money in the master bathroom to renovate it and this is exactly the layout that you were thinking and you got the money set aside and you're in your budgeted for it. i get that mm-hmm. i'm talking about investment properties mm-hmm. they they will mess you over if mm-hmm. if you get emotional with it and just ah, it's just a it's just 10 percent more it's just a little bit more yeah. it's, it's not gonna work out yeah. second thing is it's a long term game and, and anybody that is giving you investing advice anyways there are no short term wins there's no gimmicks there's no quick there's no quick way to to be rich it is a long term game and that comes back to the emotions and the patience with it you mm-hmm. got to be so grown up with it so mature with it that there's no overnight overnight you know uh real estate mogul mm-hmm. so 
these shows that are coming on it, they 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 are successful. These shows on HGTV, those Fixer Upper or the Flip This, Flip That, whatever, they're successful shows because it it makes somebody think, oh man, I can do this mm-hmm. easily. No, you can't. I can do this without risk. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. I can do this overnight. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. It is it is a long term game. It's a risky game. And uh, it takes you basically pulling your heart out if you love real estate and setting it aside and saying, all right, it's just really going to come down to the numbers. We have to say no a lot. Yep. So yep. That, that's kind of that's my that's off the top of my head. My number ones of, of the gotchas and the watch outs. Yes. Is what I would say. Yeah, it's fantastic. And how about for someone that maybe doesn't own any real estate yet, wants to invest in real estate at some point? Maybe is at the point where they could maybe in the next year or two, whatever. Um, and then they're ready to kind of what's your advice maybe for a beginner that's about to start So that person. So, you know, if all works out, what we're saying is you're going to have a, a place to manage the rest of your life or for a long time. Let's say, let's say for the next 20 years, you're going to be in the management business for the next two years. You're going to be in the buying business. So really you're looking at what do you want to do management wise? Do you really want to own real estate? Do you really want to be on vacation and that tenant have your cell phone number mm-hmm. and say, hey, the, the second floor toilets are, are actually going backwards now. They're coming out of the floor instead of down the floor. <laughs> what do you do? You want to sure. do that? You want to do that on yeah. vacation? Great. The only, the only way to find that out, though, is to get one. Mm-hmm. So start small is number one. Mm-hmm. Start small. Rachel and I started small, 44 grand. Put it away. Go, go cut your teeth on 700 bucks a month. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. just get a one bedroom. Yep. Go through the go through the motions. See how it feels. Have some crazy tenants. Have some have some good tenants. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to know with little risk if this is something that you really want to do. Um, but you don't have to. It doesn't have to be. You know, you don't have to start out the top. Yep. It's not. It's not a. This is not a highbrow thing. You know, you can just yep. go grab a property at low risk and and see if you see if you really want to be a landlord. Yep. Yeah, that's great. What about on the asset protection side then? What are some maybe some of the most common or maybe some of the best strategies you've seen then for asset protection? Of course, there's, you know, the obvious one which is put that property in an LLC. Um is that is that as good as it gets? Like is that the most common thing that you're seeing or is there other strategies that work well? Yeah, that gets it away from you enough, you know, personally. Um and so it's, it's just going to be putting it in a separate company mm-hmm. or um, and, and in conjunction with your insurance policies, that's that's mm-hmm. going to get you covered fine. Yep. Um, I wouldn't put too much into one LLC because then, you know, the, the higher the value of the LLC, the, the more they have to go after. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once your once your net worth kind of grows to a certain point. I would recommend putting an umbrella policy on everything that you own, you know, the insurance insurance. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yep. Uh, on everything that you own. So that it's a fallback that covers mm-hmm. not only that LLC, but you personally, if anything pierces it or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's about as much as you're ever going to see. Um, because if you got one house and it's in one LLC, they're going to be writing checks to that LLC. Mm-hmm. And if they have, problems you know that then they're gonna have problems just with whatever that llc owns which isn't much yep um what about so you mentioned the umbrella umbrella insurance policy what about if someone had 20 single family homes or 20 properties is there uh, a play where you have multiple llcs that are owned by a umbrella llc or like a holding company or 
Is it just single owned LLCs flowing back to one owner and that's fine? I'd probably I'd, I'd split them up. I mean, if there's 20 properties, well, it really depends on the the valuation. So if it's yeah. if it's one is, commercial is building that's 10 million, yeah, that's obviously just going to have to be its own LLC. Yep. Is there a dollar amount in your mind where it makes sense to go ahead and open up another LLC? Not necessarily. There's not. Okay. There's no cut and dry on it for yep. me. It's a. It's a number of. It's a ratio between number of properties and the actual value of the LLC. So if you've okay. got ten properties and it's approaching five million, mm-hmm. you probably. I would. I would recommend. Let's just start another one. Yep. Because that that umbrella within that LLC is going to have to go to up to five million. So you're mm-hmm. going to start having some big policies that are mm-hmm. starting to get real big, and you want to split those up and, and spread them out a little bit. Yes. Somebody slips and falls on on that LLC. That's what I'm talking about. They yes. have access to whatever that thing owns. Yep. And so there's nothing wrong with, and it's super easy and cheap. You know, it's 300 bucks a month to the state of Tennessee. So just mm-hmm. just do it. Get yep. the protection on it. And make sure that umbrella policy covers the whole thing. I wouldn't have a holding company. Okay. Just make sure that that umbrella covers all of the LLCs. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Great. Well, I want to talk about the... Um have you talk about rather because I don't know that much about it the new office campus that's going in in Berry Farms. Yeah. So from what I found online and all the news releases, um, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, this is this is exciting. Just talking about it, um, you talk yeah. about like in real estate. I mean, I can't wait to see this. But Berry Farms is essentially what ten miles south of here. We're yeah. kind of in the Brentwood about, area. About three here. exits. Yeah. Three exits down. Forty-seven acres. Uh, two hundred twenty-three thousand square feet. I think that's right, roughly. Uh, potential move-in date August two thousand seventeen. The one uh, news release had the expected cost of you know give or take fifty million. Mm-hmm. Um, a quote from Dave, which I love. I think this might have been at the groundbreaking ceremony. He says, "He says uh, we pay cash for stuff, and that's a real pain in the butt on something this size. <laughs> it's just like." <laughs> How do you do better than that? That's one. It's all relative. It's all relative. It's, <laughs> paying cash is a pain in the butt, depending on you know where you're at. So you're right. So that's great. So that's a little bit on the. That's about the extent of my knowledge on the yeah. scope of the project. Can you paint a picture for us on what this will look like? The project in general. Obviously, we'll talk about you overseeing the entire thing, and I want to dig into that. But yeah, what is this entire project? Yeah. So what started the, the conversation was three, four years ago. The board got together and said, look, are we going to be the company that operates out of multiple buildings or are we going to get everybody on the same roof again and mm-hmm. and realize the efficiencies there? That was a quick discussion. Yeah, we're going to get really? everybody on the same roof. You cannot put a, a number on the amount of work that can get done, the speed of work, the trust that's developed, the efficiency that's developed. Having everybody in a you know, six-story building versus... I'm going to get my car. I'm going to drive over here. I have a meeting. Come back. I mean, we mm-hmm. have a we have a shuttle service that keeps everybody connected here with multiple buildings, and so uh, that was that was the driver. Uh, we grew out of this building into other buildings. You know, we would we would lease parking spots from anybody. We'd lease from Cracker Barrel if they'd let us, uh, <laughs> but they wouldn't, and uh, reasonably so. We'd probably take over. <laughs> so. So we started to look for some some property, and it led us to Berry Farms, and we we bought um, forty seven acres in really it's the southernmost portion of the city of Franklin growth boundary, mm. and uh, it it provided us the ability to never have to uh, run into a real estate problem again. So 
you want, uh, for us, we want the real estate not to dictate our vision, but we want our vision to kind of play into the real estate. So Mm -hmm. the real estate here is starting to dictate quite literally the number of people we can hire, the parking spaces that we Mm -hmm. have. It's our, our options are growing, you know, they're, they're getting more limited instead of expanding. So we said, we really never want to be in that again. So Mm -hmm. what we did was we found a place that we could actually have a guaranteed amount of office square footage over the next, you know, forever amount of years. And we'll never have to be in this situation again. So Mm. we are allowed to build up to 600,000 square feet of office in a 50,000 foot conference center within the PUD. So that's, that's what we can do. This first phase is 223,000 feet. Like you said, it has a atrium that's connected to it where we will continue to have an all hand staff meeting with up to a thousand people. And it'll have a dining center in that same area. So it's kind of a multifunction area. It's also where the visitors will come in to watch any of the, you know, the show that's going on or any mm. of the media that's happening. Mm. Um, so we bought October 2015. Two years later, here we are, you know, we just broke ground a, f- a few months ago. Mm-hmm. So it was a two-year design process, design and permitting process um, with Gresham Smith Partners who are phenomenal. Um it's great working with competent, good people. Mm-hmm. There is no substitute for that. So it was a combination of selecting the design team. It was, you know, you, you have to pick your architect. You got to pick your specialists, which are, you know, a kitchen, if you have a kitchen or studio design or whatever it is. And then you have your, your GC. Mm. And those are the people that will walk through you unless you're doing a, a design bid, which is you just have an architect, you design it, then you pitch it out to a bunch of general contractors. Gotcha. I wanted the contractor on board early. Mm. Make that selection as early as possible because really the price it's not going to be that much different. You know, mm-hmm. their their cost plus might be a half a percent difference. And really, I'm just looking more for chemistry. Mm-hmm. We wanted we wanted the biggest general contractor that we could find, but still stay local. Mm-hmm. So we kept everybody here. Everybody's in Nashville. We can we can work better that way. And there's a phenomenal chemistry that we've developed over the past two years with that steering committee. So is what we ended up calling it. So. Um, we finally got our design polished up, submitted, got the permit, dirt's moving. Um, and I honestly, I honestly keep having these re-realizations like, oh, what? It's like, it's like having kids too. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm a dad of two now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, and I've thought that, you know, I forget and then I remember it, and then I forget and I remember it. It's kind of <laughs> like, it slowly becomes reality. When you, when I've worked on, we've worked on it for two years on paper. Yeah. I still drive down there and I see the dirt moving and I think, Okay. No, 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 no. This is really happening. It's it's a real thing. Yes. I'll feel it even more when those checks start going out too. So oh, I'm sure. I think that, that'll make it much more real. Yeah, I'm sure. I um That's a that is a microwave version of how we got to that decision and, and where we're at today. But um you know, we just we have a thousand parking spaces in phase one down there. Okay. Uh we just want to be able to do what we need to do from a business perspective and the real estate should cater to that. Yes. I, we are so tired of catering to this real estate. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. I think that makes complete sense. I meant to drive down there before because I was picking something up at our office, which is South of here, but I just ran out of time. But right now, what does that look like? Are there dozers there moving dirt or is there nothing happening right now? Yeah. So the, the site grading has taken place. So we're, we've, it's gone from cow pasture grass to, all dirt. Oh, it's graded now. It's dirt. Yep. Okay. The whole thing is a big dirt pile. Um, the building pad is ready. So oh, wow. we've, we've kind of raised the building pad up to its finished floor, and the uh, the drilled piers will start uh, this week. 
the foundation work will continue through the first week of December. Um, and we'll continue to do grade work kind of as the whole project goes. Obviously, yep. you gotta, we got to raise the parking lot up to elevation, and you'll do the medians and the landscaping at the end. So the grade will go throughout the project. But the biggest thing is these next couple of weeks are when we're doing the drilled piers where those caissons mm-hmm. are going to go in and that foundation will set in. And that's, that's the tedious part. Cause yeah. you want, you want, it's all about the foundation. It's all yeah. about how, how many more feet are we going to have to go to, you know, cause every, every, every foot that you go is another dollar. Oh, until the, the testing or whatever is like until it passes, this is the, that's right. the strength we need or whatever. That's right. It's got to okay. pass a certain amount of, of volatility yeah, within okay. that casing. Okay. Um, and otherwise, Otherwise, your your floors are just going to crack. You know, yep. it's not gonna, like it's unsafe or something. But structurally, yep. you want that building to last as long as possible, and it all starts with that that foundation. So that's where we're at. Um, we'll move into sewer and other things uh, pretty soon. But um, it's it's fairly surprising. It's a six story building, and by March, you know, or April, in the next six months, we're looking at once they get that foundation set, they go. So okay. It's, Nice. It's seven million dollars worth of concrete. It's a concrete frame. Wow. Seven million dollars worth post tension, and they just <laughs> stack one floor after the other. And I think they'll they're planning on topping out by April of this year. So it's sweet. It's pretty quick from a grade and core shell perspective. Yeah. It's yeah. The, the tedious part that takes a long time is your interiors. So not to nerd out on the foundation, but again, you pr- they probably would have tested the soil when you would have a general idea how deep those foundations need to go. Or yes. okay, We've, but it's still yet to be determined as they actually. That's dig right. And you put- can only test so much Got until it. you're actually doing the the drills. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So we we've tested it a lot. It looks like a shotgun blew through the the map, you know. But yep. um, but mm-hmm. you can only do that so so often until you do the real thing. Yep. It's just unseen. Makes sense. And your phase one is 223,000 square foot, but you can build up to 600,000 square foot over time if you need to or want to. And did you say on the PUD? Yes. What is that? Okay, so that's a planned urban development. Okay, gotcha. That's something that we have already passed with the city of Franklin. Okay. That says, here's what you can do. These are the boundaries with which you can build or develop within this, this development. Gotcha. So in order for us to ask for more square footage or for us to decrease or to move a building, you got to submit your development plan back through to revise that PUD um, before they say, sure, you can't just go out there and, you know, build a house, for instance. Yes. It has to be office. Yes. It has to be this type of property. Yep. And that's what we have approved for now. Gotcha. So, um, again, back to buying this, what were the main factors in the decision on location? Like, what were the things you guys were thinking about as far as we know we need space, where? Uh, how long does it take Dave to get there from his house? Uh, (laughs) I had a sneaking suspicion that was going to be one of the factors. What is, uh, yeah. What's his appetite for how long he wants to drive? How close is it to the airport? Uh, yeah, no, that had something to do with it. It really did. So there, there was a Saturn plant down in Spring Hill that we were looking at that was just like, ah, it's such a good deal, but yeah, you'd have to redo the building. There's so much that that would have been a kind of a rebuild. Yeah. And it was a great deal. It had a huge campus. But it'd take you an hour to get to the airport. Yeah. And so it wasn't practical for our company. Uh, we have a lot of people that live in Nashville. We have a lot of people that live in Spring Hill. We have a lot of people that live in between. We have people in Columbia. It kind of, it's a big span. So yep. we're trying to be appropriate. Mm-hmm. And 
honestly, what what drove that decision was okay. If we could, let's start here. Let's start where we're at today. Everybody's used to driving this route. This is the exit. This mm-hmm. is where we're at. We started here. We ran kind of market rates on what land per foot's going for, and the further we move south, the cheaper it got, and it got cheaper mm. really fast. Mm-hmm. So we ended up paying half per foot what we would have paid in the bullseye where we are today mm. for this piece of land. And the pain was not great. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's developments moving that way. So if you're mm-hmm. in a metropolitan area, development in that area is moving somewhere. Mm-hmm. For Nashville, it's moving a lot of ways. But one of those ways is south. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it is set to be the next retail kind of mixed-use uh, residential area. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we took that in mind and said, this is the future. It's a long future. We're here to stay. And it worked out well. It's, it really came down to those factors and, and and the deal as well. How far will you think you have to the airport from there then? I mean, it's still a good little hike. I live 12 minutes from the airport, so I'm thinking. I know. You rub it in. It's still 45 minutes, right? It is, depending on 440. 440 is a nightmare. True. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if, if you're just going a straight shot, you're 30, you're 30 minutes. It's, it's okay. right on the interstate. That's the So, benefit. like on a Saturday, you're 30 minutes to the airport. Yeah, because there are no red lights. You are, we are yeah. on the exit. Literally yes. drive up to the exit, and you're going north. So, you're, you're already on it. Um, okay. As opposed to, we're already a few red lights away here yes. from an exit. Okay. So, um, so it's. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're every bit of 30 minutes. You can't get there shorter than that. Yep. Um, and it's going to be really long with traffic. Yeah, yep. Um, who are the – you mentioned the steering committee. Um, who are the people that you're working with mainly uh, or working directly with, say, on a project this scale? Yep. So you've got with, – within the architectural firm – You've got a, a large amount of people. You've got the engineers. You have the mm-hmm. civil engineers. Um, but do you have to work with all those, or that you just work with the, your I, contact at the at the? Depends uh, on what, it, it depends on what phase. I mean, early okay. on when we were doing the the site plan work, I was engaged with the civil engineers in every steering committee. You know, they okay. they were putting together our uh, grading package essentially. Okay, uh, that says here's how much cut you need, how much here's how much fill you need. Does the site balance? All the, you know, it all dictates how expensive that dirt's going to be to mm-hmm. either move it off or bring some in. So you work with civil engineers. You work with the uh, exterior kind of designers that put the the elevation together and say here's the materials we think that, that reflect your culture, mm. and it plays within the bounds of the architectural restrictions of the community. Mm-hmm. Do you like that? So we would we kind of design the exterior together with with those designers. Then you have the interior, uh, in and they'll they'll do the furniture and they'll do the the actual finishes within the you know. Do you want this marble or do you want this wood? Do you want mm-hmm. these tones? And they get to know the again the culture of our company and try to reflect it as best they can with floors and walls mm-hmm. um, and ceilings. Um. So. Then it transitions from the design and hands off to you. You're basically your main project leader during construction, and they're the ones okay. that have been on the project. So, so this, so Adrian's been on the project the whole time okay. as the design as the designer. She will continue to be on the project when we go out there to quality, you know, kind of quality control, inspect what was designed and how is it reflected in as it's being built. And she kind of mm-hmm. signs off on uh, those two things be- mm-hmm. being equal. Mm. 
Um, so, so they're with you during the construction administration process as well, the whole time, um, making sure they're fact checking the plans match the building. And, and again, there's a whole team back behind there. I mean, mm-hmm. you get the invoice from an architectural firm. It's not just the people that were in the steering committee. All of a sudden, you're like, who are these 25 names that have been working <laughs> on our project? Because they take them back to their engineers and their designers that have all hourly rates and yep. all these names you've never heard of that are working on your project. Yep. You just never knew it. Yep. Otherwise, um, the contractors, obviously, like I said, sat in those projects just to give feedback. Hey, how much money did we just spend on making that you know, barn wood in, instead mm-hmm. of the just jitboard ceiling? Mm-hmm. You know, great, great feedback to have just for real time with an estimator. Yep. That's valuable. Plus, they're familiar with what we already said. So when we get out on the field, they, they've been through the whole build together. We've built this thing already 10 times over on paper. Great. Mm-hmm. Then there are, I had to get representation from the company. I wasn't going to do it on my own. No way. Mm-hmm. I didn't have time, and I didn't trust myself either. I, I needed people to speak into the design aspects, the actual numbers of the deal. Like, here's... Here's the amount of departments that we have. Here's the people that are in those departments. Here's the growth projections for 2020 in those departments. Gotcha. So I need a representation from the company. The company being Ramsey Solutions. Ramsey Solutions. Yeah. Um, for instance, uh, our, our senior director of IT, he's, he's on the steering committee because this is a highly technological building with the studio being in there. We have a ton of production spaces. There's, mm. there's four podcast rooms. There's... Mm. Uh, two big black boxes, two radio studios now versus one. I mean, there's a lot of technology that's going to go in there, and you don't what, want me doing that. What's a black box? Black box is like a soundstage, like like a, a TV studio. Just okay. a big black room that you could produce video, I gotcha. video with. Gotcha. Okay. And then me and Dave. Okay. <laughs> and the CFO, because numbers are important. Okay, gotcha. And uh, you mentioned there'll be two... There's two... Studios, so essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and here you really have this main one, correct? In this current office. That's it. Well, oh. the, well, f- from a broadcast perspective. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. So clearly, it's a huge undertaking. It's a huge project. You're working with a bunch of different people. I was going to ask you how you manage your priorities and tasks on a project this size. I I think I still want to ask you that. But when I was uh, walking into the lobby here to get on this podcast with you, I met your wife, Rachel. She happened to be walking through. You just had 30 seconds. It was before you got there. Yeah. And I asked her, hey, if you could just ask Winston, you know, knowing what you know of Winston, one question, what <laughs> wow. would it be? And so she thought a little bit and she was like, ask him how he keeps his cool so well with a project this size. So, like, this is where her mind went with you right now, like, because we weren't talking about this wow. project specifically. Yeah. And she, what she wants... T- she thinks <laughs> I she, keep my cool? Is that what she's yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She thinks you keep your school cool. And no, she's come around more. What I would like to... I think it's a great question because she's like, basically, ask him, how many times is he sitting in those meetings just thinking, like, what in the heck am I doing? <laughs> how in the world is this even semi-organized? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so... I mean, you've never managed a project like this before, right? Right. No, not at all. So it's a great question. So... I agree. How That's are you good. keeping your cool? Are you keeping your cool? How are you managing this? It's so big. It's so new. Yeah. How are you even thinking about this? Yeah. Um, that's a great... That's a great question. Um I think there's a couple of things, and 
I'm going to start with this. I think perspective is everything. So in all the excitement, the stakes feel high. It's the biggest thing the company's ever done, biggest thing Dave's ever done, biggest thing I've ever done. Cutting my teeth on development with $50 million versus like a storage unit is very different. So I, it's, a, it's a big deal. There's, there's a lot of, you know, big lights that come with it. I, I get that. All of that to say this, your perspective is everything. And when I go home at night and I see, you know, my family and I see my two and a half year old girl running to me and my just my two year, two month old daughter laying in the swing that, you know, I'm it like mm-hmm. the, the, I am all they got really to get through the formative years. And I don't think my success in the workplace really dictates my success with my family. If I had to pick and choose, I would want those girls to grow up to be incredible women of God, strong, strong, you know, woman warriors is what I would call them. Mm -hmm. And um, I think before Rachel and I had kids, I I think work just kind of becomes your thing. Like work, Mm -hmm. work is... Work is kind of where you hang your hat a lot, and um, I didn't have that perspective. It was pre-kids, so I I thought, well, this is it's your number one priority, other other than your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, having kids is just giving me a perspective to say, look, man, I mean, you're stressed out. I get it, mm-hmm. and it's worthy of your stress. Stress is good to you know it it presses you into to something that you weren't yesterday. Mm-hmm. Good, but and but in you know, woe to me if that thing gets in front of what's really important in life, mm-hmm. which is your relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll, it's all going to burn someday. So your mm-hmm. relationships, the people that you got in your life, those are things you can't put price tags on. And those things that you can't put price tags on are really what's important. So perspective one, mm-hmm. number one, I keep my cool. Hey, if, if it, so if it wins or it doesn't win, who cares? Mm-hmm. If the Vols beat South Carolina, they would beat South Carolina Saturday. Butch might get fired. Who cares? Mm-hmm. It's all going to be good. So the second thing I would say is you got to realize that you can't, you don't know how to do it. I don't mm-hmm. know how to do this. So the first thing that I did was I looked around at the people that have done this before and have done it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside of an absolutely crazy, unreasonable price, um, and a crazy, unreasonable um uh, service, you know, surround, I've just surrounded myself with a world-class team mm. and I didn't even plan for it to go this well. Mm. I really just looked at an architecture firm and a, and a contractor and I put together a, a mixture of price, uh, chemistry and how much experience they had with the city of Franklin. Those mm. are my three things, my three filters that I used to source the steering committee and the design team. Mm. And they have become, they're everything. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not really me. I, at the end of the day, I think really I've just started to become a glorified coordinator. I mm-hmm. just want to, all right, what's the next thing in front of us? I ask that question a lot. What's the next thing? And make sure that that thing happens and you manage yep. to that date or you manage yep. to that timeline. But I'm not going back to the office and designing anything. Yep. I'm, I've been in some meetings that are kind of intense and I put a jacket on and I go down to the city of Franklin and Mm -hmm. act like I've been there before. Yes, I've done that. And it's stressful. And I'm, I'm absolutely putting on and acting and like, I'm out, I'm way out of water there. Yeah. 
But by and large, I've just surrounded myself with experts, mm-hmm. and I don't want to take I don't want to take the credit. I really don't. It's I just am I am blessed to have the opportunity to learn so much. Mm-hmm. So I sit in those seat on that chair sometimes. I pinch myself. I'm like, are we really talking about these numbers? Are there any zeros on there? Is that mm-hmm. do they really are they really like looking to me to like run this thing to a degree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm I'm not. The project is too big to rise or fall on me. Sure. Um, so, yeah, great question. Perspective, number one, keep your life in perspective about mm-hmm. you think you're going to save the day or not. Mm-hmm. It, it's, not all, it's not all on you. It really isn't, you know. And then the second thing is I've just... I've just been blown away by the amount of success that the team has had that we've put together. Yep. Well, that's a great answer. I don't think we'll be able to do much better than that. So what is a good transition to another thing I wanted to ask about is your uh, kids. How do you, with having a lot of responsibility at work, there's a lot going on, you're involved in multiple different things, and now you have two girls, two-and-a-half-year-old or two-month-old. Are there... um, things that you and Rachel have been intentional about, or maybe you specifically as a dad, you have all this going at work. When you go home, you want to make sure this happens on a semi-consistent basis or for sure on the weekends, or how do you make sure you still parent well your kids with so much going on? Mm -hmm. Having kids is the hardest thing I've ever done. (laughs) I I mean, it really is. Uh, Some people, that's not their story. And I can understand marriage. Rachel and I get married is like a merge onto the highway. Mm-hmm. Some people, marriage is like a collision. I get it. But having kids uh, has stripped me of all things I once knew as, oh, I, you know, I used to get the things that I wanted more easily than I do today. Actually, the things that I wanted don't even, they don't even exist anymore. You might as well not even think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you are literally taking care of what's in front of you. And you might get an hour within 24 hours to have the question of, hey, what do I want to do right now? Yeah. And by that time, you're, you're asleep. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been, it's been difficult. Um, this weekend, you know, we were um, at home, and my two-and-a-half-year-old, Amelia, is an absolute joy. She is the most energetic person I've ever seen. I mean, she's mm-hmm. a two-and-a-half-year-old, and, a year old and she, I'm having full-on conversations with her. And she won't stop talking, <laughs> um, which is not my personality at all. Uh, <laughs> so it's funny to watch Rachel come out in her. So she's running around. She's trying to get me to look at her and do this and look, Daddy, look at this. And, and, I'm, and, I, and I realized that I'm standing up or I'm always sitting down. You know, she's, she's three feet tall. So I'm, I'm always standing up playing with her. Or I'm sitting on the couch and, and trying to entertain her while I, uh, you know, kind of manage getting by mm-hmm. giving her what she needs. Just I can get by, but I can give her just enough of what she needs. And I realized I just haven't gotten down on the floor with her mm-hmm. and gotten on her level mm-hmm. and literally try to see things as she sees it. And I realized that I I'd been so fast paced running hard. Now these past few months we had a baby and that in and of itself, like, I get a pass, right? Um, but I realized I just hadn't gotten down and actually seen her for her. Like, what does life look like to Amelia right now? Mm-hmm. What, what is she 
what does she perceive things going on? Mm-hmm. How does she see life? And I got down on the floor and played with, you know, her makeup bag or whatever she was doing, but I was at least looking her in the eyes on her eye level. Mm-hmm. And it changes everything. Mm. Um, I was I was no longer just trying to stand up and mm-hmm. reach down and and help out or play with her, or entertain, whatever. You're in the floor, you're actually you're just gonna be that two and a half year old with her. And I think that changes a lot. It's it's a small thing, but I think it's a big deal. Um you know, when I come home Again, the battle is I just want to, I just want to relax. Mm-hmm. I want to turn my brain off and numb out and not engage. But I think I think I've gone from a full time job, and then having kids is another full time job, and I'm working two jobs right now. And so a lot of it's a lot of it's discipline. I mean, I'd I'd love to say that like oh yeah, I love I love coming home and you know wiping stuff down. Mm-hmm. And doing the next thing, I but you know there's a lot of there's a lot of joy within that, but um, but yeah, coming home and and actually just telling myself, you've got two hours before they go to bed. Yep, you got to make those two hours as engaging as possible, mm. especially with the girls that I have because mm-hmm. they need they don't they're not the ones that just go off and play with. They don't. She does not go off and play house by herself. Okay, not self time. She's got to have daddy. You got. Man, you got to talk to her and and jump in the floor and sh- see what she's been doing and let yep. her tell a story. Yep, it's all like you gotta you gotta be available. Yep, and um, there's there's nights where I don't want to be available, yep. and that, that's a hard thing. Yeah, you know, you you want to be available to yourself and like, hey, well, when am I gonna get yep. somebody to you know lock eyes with me and have a con- an adult conversation? Yes. And, um, what time do you usually put? Uh, do they go to bed? So we're structured. My life's on an Outlook calendar. Oh, we didn't have a chance. I mean, Rachel, Rachel's, uh, she loves calendars as well. So we, we put them to bed at seven. Yeah. So we do too. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That, that was a seven like, year old and he still goes to bed between seven and seven thirty. Does he really? <laughs> oh yeah. That's incredible. In the Heck summertime, yeah, he's got like two more hours of daylight, but. Well, dude, shut those it's, he, it's been ever since day one. So like, yes, if, if they don't know any different, I mean, at some point they're going to be like, uh, my 15 year old friend doesn't go to bed at seven. I don't know how long this will last, but he's seven years. Yeah. He's seven years old now. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Bed is seven to seven thirty, and That's he'll huge. be in there with his brother and they'll be chatting for a little while. I mean, it's not like they're sleeping by seven thirty, unfortunately. Yeah. But no, I'm with you on the structure thing. You we can just, do we it. just put them on a schedule as a, as an infant. Like they go through feeding we put their feedings on schedules, everything. And what we didn't realize was the benefit of that was, so we go to bed early anyways, but we don't mm-hmm. go to bed at seven. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Rachel and I have time together mm-hmm. um, afterwards, as opposed to putting him down at 830. And I'm actually going to bed, too, because I'm an old yep. man. You know? yep. So uh, we didn't realize the benefit of, of the early bedtime. Yes. I'm early bedtime fan, for sure. Likewise. Have there been any um, parenting practices that that you and Rachel maybe learned from your parents or her parents that you want to make sure you kind of instill in in you guys' parenting as well? Yeah. Um, I think balance is everything. So there's balance in what you give them. Let them, you can watch this show, but then you, you have a, you have a yes and then a no. Mm-hmm. You have a, you have a, a grant and then a restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a balance in discipline. And I think there has to be as, as hard as you are on your kid, you got to be twice as, playful with your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't want, 
robots. You know, I don't want um, fear within my kid. And but I want to be a disciplinarian. I want them to be good kids. I want them to be great adults. I want them to have self control. But sometimes when I'm really getting onto Amelia, I think you know what? That's great. That's okay. As long as you know, ten minutes later when she forgets about everything, mm-hmm. that you're back down on that floor goofing off with her. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want that relationship. I want them to tell me things. I don't want them to be scared to mess up. I don't, you know, th- there's a lot of fear in what would hold me back from disciplining, but there is a balance. So balance in, in all things, I think. And I think that's starting to kind of continue to flesh itself out. The more that, you know, right now with Caroline, I'm just, we're just taking care of her. We're caretaking. Yep. yep. Then all of a sudden, I remember the weekend that Amelia found her will, and it was like, hold on a second. I'm not ready. Yeah. I am not ready for that. I'm not ready to say, start saying no. Mm-hmm. Man, I say, I say no literally between time I get home and bedtime, you know, 50 times. Yeah. Um, and they all get contested. It's like I have a two-and-a-half-year-old attorney. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm like, you're the smartest little attorney. I, I can, you're manipulating me. I can feel it. I'm, yes. I, I'm smarter than you, but sometimes you can sneak up on me. Uh, that's fun. We have one like that, too, and it doesn't quit. So, but you know what? I don't <laughs> yeah. want it to quit, you know, because yeah. our, the one that's like that is he just, he likes to test things. He likes to ask why he, yeah. you know what? That's going to do very well for him. Sure. So I don't want to kill that. I agree. So, yeah, I think one of the, one of the keys is recognizing, you know, where, 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 where are they gifted yeah. and, you know, fanning those flames and, uh, kind of running with where you see them blossoming and not destroying it in your in what you think is your own agenda for them. Yes. I want to get out of the way to the degree. I want to escort them and not not try to lead, you know, jerk them through wherever we're going to go. Yes. Um within their strengths and weaknesses. So, I agree completely. I want to make sure we don't run over time. It's quarter till five. Do you have a few more minutes or do we need to rest? Should we yeah, wrap this yeah, up we're, now? Yeah, we're good. We're okay? Okay. Yeah. I've, I've got a few listener questions, then i got a couple more that I want to ask. So one listener question, what are your thoughts on residential versus commercial property as long-term investments? Um, commercial is a big, it's a wide term. So it, it could be, it could be, that could mean a lot of things. That could mean a car wash, it could mean, you know, an industrial park. It could mean a hair salon. Uh, if I had to pick, I would go commercial because it's more professional. The payoff is greater, usually. Mm-hmm. And it's longer-term tenancy, so you just don't have to mess with it as much, much like we've, we've discussed. So if I had to pick one, I would, I would go commercial. Um, again, the greater the property, though, the greater the risk. And, and so... I'd be careful with it. Um, and you're going to have a little more expense. So be used, get, get used to just not being able to throw a sign up in the yard, cut the grass, do some landscaping, and somebody will call and, and you lease it. Yep. Commercial takes much more marketing. It takes an attorney to look over the lease. You know, Don't get messed over there. Yep. Um, so it, it, takes, it takes more work on the front end. But once it's running, I've talked to people that have had a commercial property 30 years that had the same tenant. They've only mm. renewed twice. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Keep it going. Yeah. Don't sell it. Just, you know, so that... I'd rather have that than in those 30 years, you would have turned over a condo, you know, 25 yes. times. Yes. And like you mentioned earlier, it's hard to beat the triple net stuff where Ooh, the yeah. you own the property, they pay the taxes, insurance, and maintenance. That's right. Oh, you have a <laughs> HVAC problem? Just make the phone call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, another listener question. Do you and Rachel use the envelope system? 
We use every note. A... It's a digital envelope system. Okay. We used to use the envelope system, and we would pull things out for our – so I would call it the operating budget. So it's mm. it's the gas, it's the groceries, it's the restaurants, you know, your taxes, your insurance. Just put that out on auto draft. Make sure you're keeping up with it. But for your mm-hmm. monthly kind of day-to-day expenses, we do use the envelope system. Okay. And a budget is fantastic. And every dollar was designed, created, launched here, right? That's that, right. That's yep. a Ramsey solution thing. Okay. Yep. Um, and last listener question, was there anything that surprised you about Dave after getting to know him as a father-in-law? <laughs> or maybe hmm. The surprising thing that was that um, was that he's the same person that he is everywhere. That mm-hmm. was really the big surprise. I was expecting yeah. this big difference in like uh, the stage and then in real life. Hmm. And, and the surprising thing was there was no surprise. Now, mm-hmm. I will, in full disclosure, um, I, I mentioned Rachel and my sister getting to be friends before Rachel mm-hmm. and I knew each other. And <clears throat> one time my sister said, you know, Rachel Ramsey, you need to talk to this girl and you need to look at her, you know, get to know her. I get it. Okay, okay. And by the way, do you know who her, her dad is? Her dad's Dave Ramsey. And <laughs> dude, I am a sophomore junior in college. I'm the furthest thing from like a talk radio listener guy, you know, back then. Okay. And I had no idea. So I just told my sister, I was like, okay. And I said, well, our dad's name's Buddy Cruz. So <laughs> who is that? You know what I mean? Dave Ramsey. I would have shook his hand, looked him in the eye, said, yes, sir. No matter who it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yep. I am dating his daughter. Yep. So, um, so yeah, it, it was uh, it was funny just to kind of start to see that curtain peeled back slowly and slowly and slowly. The more I got to know the family, you mm-hmm. know, as 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 much as getting to know Rachel, but mm-hmm. he's the same guy all all the time. Yeah, that's great. That that's a real. I think that's a real, real testament to character, and it's also refreshing. You know, it in is. the day and age where you can be one person online, another person that's right. at home. That's uh, that says quite a lot. Yeah, um, I'm curious what your daily habits look like for the first, say, hour of your day? So, alarms at 5.15, I drive up to the Y, and I try to get my workout done before I even realize I'm awake. Every day? Um, no, I try, to get my, I try to get my body a rest, so okay. it's usually every other day, which ends up, you know, okay. four days a week or something. Okay. The weekends, I'll just go on a run if it's a nice, if it's nice weather, yep. I'll find a little window. Um, so, yeah, and then I try to get that in have a cup of coffee with Rachel so that we can connect mm. right before that seven o'clock hits seven to seven because right when that happens those babies start chattering and that's it you're you know you're kind of done so um so on the what time are you back are you getting coffee with her after the Y yeah okay yeah. so yeah, you're there how long then at, at the Y oh so I'll probably go an hour so I'll okay. probably go five gotcha. thirty six thirty okay and then Rachel and I'll hang out till seven okay gotcha on the days I don't go to the Y um I like to just, you know, turn a lamp on, read something. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I have to get the coffee because I, I, if I read in the mornings, I fall asleep. It's terrible. I'm, I'm the, the worst time to read. Exact same. Um, <laughs> so, so I have to get get something going. Um, yep. Might make, you know, get breakfast started early or something like that. So yep. it's it's fairly relaxed. Um, and I look over what I've got that day, uh, usually the night before, but I'll relook and just see if. If I've got to wear the nice watch or something that day. Yep. <laughs> so uh, if you're back from the gym, have some coffee with Rachel uh, between 6.30 and 7. Babies start to wake up around 7. Is the is the coffee with Rachel on a pretty consistent daily thing, though? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's 
she's awake and I try you guys to can get we that try to in. at least get the what's going on today, you know, uh, maybe anything that we didn't catch up on last night because of the kids or something yeah. that we forgot like about. That. Yeah, um, it just it just it starts our day together. Yep, because there's so many moving parts right now in a in a in a day. And a Monday is very different than a Thursday, mm-hmm. and she's on maternity. So th- there's so many things in motion yep. that I can't. I, I want to be able to keep up in real time throughout the day. Yep. I, I want to know what's going on, and, and we're both kind of tethered that way. So, what time will you head then to the office? Uh, about seven thirty. Okay. So, so, so a lot of my work, you know, if, are with contractors. Okay. And they start early. Yes. So, so I'll go a 7.30, 4.30 type day, 7.30 to 5, and get most of that done in the morning. Gotcha. Um, how about your weekends? Then you guys block out the entire weekend, rest, relaxation, family, or are you doing, or are you doing some work on the weekends? What do your weekends look like? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's no work. So uh, Friday night's the best part of the week. You know, you got you got family or we're going out and, and meeting family or we're just, we're staying home or, or friends are coming over. It's, you know, you're toting kids now. We're in the kids phase. So like mm-hmm. it takes a, it takes a calendar date to actually do something. There's no more mm-hmm. like, oh, let's just, let's text so-and-so and see what sure. they're doing tonight. Yeah. They're all going to say no. Yep. <laughs> like, because we would say no. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. <laughs> so we're either at home in the fall. We go to Knoxville a lot. Mm. The greatest thing ever is that my parents are there. Mm. We go in, we drop the babies off while we go tailgate for a UT game. Nice. And we go to the game, and then we come back, and everybody wins. Yep. And so those those Saturdays for home games, for the, the UT games, are just, uh, they're nostalgic to me. They're super, super fun, and my parents get to see the babies. Yeah, I was going to say, they probably love it as much as oh, you they do. Can't, they, <laughs> they can't wait. They love it every year. So uh, my mom loves the fall. Um, otherwise... I love getting out in the yard. Mm-hmm. I'll have a I'll have a section, you know, usually during nap time on a Sunday. Get out of the yard. I, I just for some reason I, I don't let it go. We we could pay a yard guy. I grew up in the yard. I I hated it growing up, but today I just mm. it's just a it's kind of a therapy to me. Yes. Like, yep. Maybe it's that outdoor thing where I can smell gasoline and yep. get in the dirt. Yep. And uh it's a pride thing, you know, you want to take care of your house. Um but I I love doing that, spending an hour or two out there. And that's generally Sunday afternoon? Generally Sunday afternoon during naps. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if you could go back 10 years in your life and change maybe one thing about the way you viewed God at that time. Would you change anything? And if so, what, what might that be? Oh, I would view God as a father who just wanted to be with his little boy and not as much as a father who was expecting his little boy to march a certain way or be a certain person or mm. or ring a certain bell or accomplish a certain thing or get a certain accolade i mean i'm i'm a very performance driven person so that's in my dna it's in my blood which I think is good. It's a good trait until it, until you translate it to your spiritual walk. There's a lot of, there's a lot of lies in there. Mm-hmm. So off the cuff, I think I would have seen God as more open armed 
than I would have uh, cross-armed and waiting f- for me to do something right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, that would yeah. have been, been right in my transition of, of, of college, and that's where most of my, I think, probably personal growth came anyways, mm. when you're out on your own. Yeah. Kind of answering the question of who do I want to be yes. now. Yes. So. Yeah, that I appreciate you sharing that. And that, it's it's... It's interesting. I wonder where we kind of get some of these like notions of God because that that has come up a fair bit actually. Hmm. I mean, I, and I can testify to that too. Um, yep. But yes, yeah, so appreciate that. Yeah. Second to last question: If you could add, uh, yeah, let's say if you could add a year to anyone's life and have coffee with them once once a week, who would you pick? Wow, I'm terrible at these types of questions. (laughs) Anybody, dead or alive? Anybody, dead or alive? Gosh, I'm terrible at these. Um, basically, you're asking who do I respect a lot, or who I have interest in, or coffee with them once a week. Um, I don't know. I mean, who would you say? Like, who's your thing? Like, what's your thing? Well, I'll you just say. So, many directions, so I'm terrible at answering a question like that. Um, that's why I like to ask the question. I I, so, yes. <laughs> well, I, oh, well yeah. US, a U.S. president. Well, okay, great. Uh, um, say that. A sports I'm, figure. Okay, I, that's one thing. Yeah, I do have one, though. <clears throat> I would, um, right now... The right now, the person that comes to mind is our pastor Ray. Uh, even though we've only been going to his church for about a year, um, he's 68, he's about to retire in a year and a half. And I sense that he knows way we when he speaks, you're getting the tip of the iceberg, mm-hmm. and you can count on it because there's so much beneath what he's saying, yeah. you can just take almost as, as, as gospel, what he's like, the words that are actually coming out of his mouth. Yeah. In other words, he communicates simply, but there's a, there's a strength and a power kind of in the way he communicates, right. uh, which I really respect. And I would pick him because he's seen so much in life as he's almost 70. He's been through so much. Yeah. Uh, so that's one that would come to mind. I, for some reason, kind of just personally right now, I don't know if it's much of a person as is a time frame of life, but um, I just scroll headlines right now, and I just think in the mo- our moment in time within this country, like we're just such babies right now. Mm-hmm. I think we just whine about everything. We we're bored. We're, we're trying to f- we're trying to come up with stuff to argue about. Mm-hmm. I would want to I would want to have coffee with somebody who, you know, maybe the early 1900s or something that mm-hmm. that had a struggle. You know what I mean? Like, here's here's what we fought about. Yes. These were the stakes at which we had to survive. Yes. The Industrial Revolution, for instance, you know, like, the, this is this is what we set our eyes to attain. You know, we've got air conditioning at the flip of a switch. We have a car that we drive down, and, and we can actually not get onions on our burger if we don't want them. We can, we can Amazon one day stuff yeah. that's eventually going to be delivered by drones. Yep. Um, we're running out of stuff to fight about. And so, um, personally, I just, I would like somebody's, 
pers- unique perspective on a certain um, uh, on a different time of life. Yes. Like what what did y'all, you know, what did y'all fight about? It could have been in the 60s. I mean, for instance, I yep. I just I want perspective on our country's history. Yes. Right now. Yep. I love that. Um, whoever that is. If I was yeah. better at U.S. history, I'd have a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, last question. So our li- for for those listening, just wondering if you'd have any kind of parting advice. So for the person kind of, you know, in, in our shoes, they've got responsibility. They're busy. They're trying to serve God, love God, love their families, but do right by their responsibilities and everything. Is any kind of parting word of advice that you would have for the listeners in general? Yeah. Um, I think for me, I kind of bounce between remembering where I came from and striving to become somebody that I wasn't yesterday. And it's a strange thing. Like, don't lose the roots, the good things, your, your, your foundation of where you came from, whatever that means for you. Glean what you can from it, even if it wasn't, you know, redemptive and then looking forward i am always asking myself how can i be a better husband how can i be a better dad how can i be a better team member employee a better person to the guy behind me at the grocery store who's digging around his pocket can't necessarily find the change to to pay for his groceries um right now it's 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 such a it's such a self-centered world. Um, some of the hardest things to do right now is just give what you have, mm-hmm. give your time away, give your, uh, literally physically right now, giving my sleep away to, to your babies, um, giving your money away. Uh, that's, that's where, when I start to, when I start to worry that I'm not living in the moment, it's because I haven't done something like that where I realize Okay, I've I've done something that isn't just climbing the ladder or checking a box or being a good dad, you know, quote unquote, or a good husband. Um, give yourself away, mm-hmm. and then I've started to realize, okay, that's where I find true joy. That's where I know I feel God's spirit kind of breathing on me, um, and it's not just hustling for the next thing. For what? What mm-hmm. is it for? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's where I'm at right now, just mm-hmm. in general, uh, because it can become so black and white and so tactical and so day to day, the months are fleeting by, and um, I want to feel, I want to feel that spotlight mm-hmm. of God's plan for my life. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that for me right now recently is being aware and looking for it. Where's mm-hmm. that opportunity? Where can I give my time? Where can I give my talent? Where can I give my energy and money? And and what comes back to you is a breath of of life. It's mm-hmm. a it's a spiritual thing. It's a it's a moment where you think, oh, that was that's what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I don't think we're going to be able to do better than that. All right. So this is a good spot to wrap it up yeah. as any. Well. Really appreciate your time. This has been fantastic. So, yeah, well, thank you very much. I, I, I'm honored, honestly, like I said, this I'm bottom of the totem pole here. I, I'm honored to, to jump on with you, and I appreciate you reaching out. It was great. Thanks again. Thanks, Kim.